Yeah, it's eight o'clock, so we can go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Michael Fraud. I'm the Assistant Program Director at Drisha, and I'm very excited to have everyone here for the first class in our series, uh, Quarantine, Quarant Quandaries of Quarantine in Biblical, Talmudic, and Hasidic Literature with Rabbanit Leah Sarna. Uh, Rabbanit Sarna is the Associate Director of Education as well as the Director of High School Programs at Drisha. Uh, she has previously served as Director of Religious Engagement at Anshay Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation in Chicago and was ordained at Yeshiva Mahara in 2018. She has learned at Migdal O's, Drisha, and the Center for Modern Torah Leadership, and has written and lectured and taught in a wide variety of settings around the world, uh, and loves spreading her warm, energetic love for Torah and Misvot with Jews in all stages of life. For this class, uh, it is part of that. This class is part of our series on perspectives on plague, which is our Sphera kind of late spring theme for the classes that we're running between Pesach and Shavuot at Drisha. Uh, we have a number of others as well that you can check out on our website. But this class is thinking about the many forms that solitude takes in our tradition. Uh, we have Miriam being sent out of the camp for her leprosy. We have the high priest quarantining in advance of Yom Kippur, uh, Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai, learning in a cave, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, writing about heat bodedut, a solitude practice, and calling it greater than everything. So our goal here is to think about what exactly solitude is. Is it punishment, torture, privilege, treasure, or confusingly some mix of all of the above? So we're gonna be looking at a number of different sources to try to give some voice to the jumbled experience that we've had this past year and to enrich what will, God willing, be the last few months of quarantine and isolation. And with that, I am going to turn it over to Ravani Sarna to get us started with our learning. All right, thanks, Michael. Um, thanks everyone so much for coming. I um, am really excited for this set of classes. What I do wanna say is that while each one of them will kind of stand on its own in the sense that we'll be looking at a set of sources together and, and kind of analyzing them and trying to dig into what they have to say about solitude, I do kind of think that the whole thing will make more sense or less sense in its totality. Um, and, and the questions that I'm trying to get at will, will, will kind of be brought out um, by looking at just how many different voices um, our tradition has to share on this question of solitude. Um, so, um, so if you leave today thinking like, that was very unfulfilling, you know, come back next time. Um, and the other thing I wanna say is that um, I'm not sure I have, I have a lot of thoughts and I'm not sure I have answers. And um, I always welcome other people's thoughts in my teaching, but particularly for this, where I just feel like I don't know the answer. I like especially really welcome participation and people just like sharing their own kind of thoughts and feelings and who are about this. My, my, my sense as I read these texts is I'm approaching it from this like very personal space of we've just been doing this for the last year plus at this point. Um, and 
like have people successfully been able to make meaning and purpose out of it? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so curious about that question. Um, and, and looking to kind of other places in our, um, in, in, in our tradition where people have or haven't or where solitude is really like serving something quite specific. Um, like, I, I wonder whether we can look at those options and, and, and kind of identify ourselves within them or identify times when we experience them in different ways. Because also we'll see that um, with, with one exception, most of these times of solitude, at least that we'll be looking at today, are much shorter time periods than what we all have experienced. And so I'm wondering, one of the, the questions that's weighing on me is kind of how do those fit together also when we look at these kind of seven day quarantines, um, which is which is a great number in the sense that, um, you know, that, that, that number has really like weighed into our sense of like, how long does a person have to quarantine for? Like, oh, uh, you know, multiples of maybe two weeks, maybe seven days, maybe something in that direction. But then we've also been, so that's like in our, our world, that's kind of like, oh, you were exposed to COVID now you have to quarantine um but then it's all and, and we kind of have been thinking about that in multiples of seven but then there's also the solitude of just the like stay at home measures in general um and how do how does that line up with maybe like vis-a-vis -vis the stricter quarantines that some people have had to um observe over the course of like mixed into this past year so there's sort of like within this last year there have been like the general solitude of staying at home which uh, I'm interested in, in trying to figure out whether there felt like there could be kind of spiritual meaning and purpose in that. Um, and then and then within that kind of how does that differ from these more short-lived intensive quarantines that we've also had and that might find even greater resonance in some of the texts that we're going to look at, um, that we're going to look at today. So that's all just kind of by way of introduction, where I'm thinking about it, what I'm all trying to make sense of. Um, but because so much of the project is really trying to kind of like make sense of this experience we've had, um, the other thing I really want to name is that my experience and your experience certainly were vastly different. Um, and we all have our own living situations and our own family situations and our own things that have happened um, over the course of this time and that those other life events, whether that's losing a person to COVID, whether that's losing a job to COVID, whether that's having to relocate, whether it's keeping a job, but losing kind of a whole life of a social life. Maybe people move back in with their parents. Um, maybe people actually like found that their living situation was untenable and people who they used to live with, they no longer live with. Um, so meaning there's all sorts of things that have even within like these very small worlds that we've all sort of fractured into that have happened to people kind of within their, their quarantine bubbles that have you know, like massively affected the year. So the other thing that I wanna you know, walk, walk in this very humbly is that whatever I'm reading of my own experiences into these texts, like truly, might not resonate and might be not your experience and I really want to also like leave space for that and um and that's why we're going to look at such a broad kind of range of texts over the course of the next couple of weeks in the hopes that of all things we look at something might feel like you know that's interesting or you know that really resonates with how I felt or you know I actually want to work to make this next couple of months we've got a couple of months 
Um, I want to give it that kind of meaning. I want to start a practice that looks like that. Um, and we'll get more to that particularly when we start talking about devoted youth, um, which that'll be our last class. If you're you're here for the Rebbe Nachman, <laughs> stick with us. Uh, that'll be the last class. Um, and we'll try and see kind of like how he speaks to some of the earlier that we're going to look at before we get there. Um, but Rebbe Nachman, I think, is going to leave us with a challenge, which is, um, I'll just say it now from the start, because I think sometimes it's good to kind of give people a roadmap of where we're headed. Um, what's so fascinating about Rabbi Nachman is that he really thinks that this practice of like spiritual solitude is just incredibly important and important spiritual work. Um, and I don't, and, and one of the things that's been so hard over this past year is that most of the things that many of us find spiritually nourishing in our day-to-day -day lives we have kind of been cut off from. So if that for you was shul, if that for you was singing with other people, if that for you was just like being in a room full of other people having the same experience, like that can be, I know for some people, even just like going to a movie with lots of other people is a spiritual or a play or, or a concert is a spiritual experience. And all of those kind of spiritual moments that often are interpersonal and thrive off those like interpersonal energies, um, we've been cut off from. And what Rabbi Nachman does with his writing about Hebodidut that's so incredible is it opens up a spirituality path that's really hard and that is actually like made for this in a certain way, especially in the summer when you can leave your home and be outdoors safely. Um, so that is, that's where we're going to end with, uh, is there like a version that's not just like, oh, I wish I could be in Shul, so instead I'm zooming into Shul, or what we're doing now, I wish I could go to a Shior in person, but instead I'm zooming into a Shior, and it's like a Ki'ilu, this thing that, 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 I, that I love so much, but it's not like the, it's not the ideal form of it, where he voted to being alone is the ideal form, um, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I find he voted to like so, such an interesting um, model for our times. But in order to like really, I think, get into why Rabbi Nachman is like such a creative genius, we have to kind of see what he's playing with in advance of that. And that's going to be like these next three shirim, which again, all on their own are also hopefully going to be very kind of interesting and exciting. So with that, uh, not to like talk about my own shirim too much, <laughs> but with that, uh, we're going to dive in. Today, we're, today's shiur is extremely ambitious. Um, so, and I, you know, we're already, okay. Um, so I'm going to share my screen. You might have seen the source sheet is super duper long. Um, we're just going to like talk our way. Oh, let me make it bigger for you. We're just going to talk our way through some of these Makorot. Um, in part because if you have been reading the Torah portion at home, you will be familiar with some of these from the last couple of weeks and this coming week. Um, so the first one we're going to look at is the Mulin. This is the first uh, model of quarantine, and really, this is we're going to look at the, the beginning of the Gemara in Yoma at the end of today's Shior. And it, what we'll what see, what the Gemara will, will bring out so clearly is that the Mulim, which are the when the Kohanim kind of like start their kick off their work in the Mishkan, um, the Mulim are like the model for m most, if not all, other quarantines that get described in, um, in rabbinic literature. So there are, there are quarantines in rabbinic literature that do not appear in the Torah text, but this is one that appears in the Torah text that then serves as a model for the others that appear um, more in rabbinic literature. So that's what, um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Okay. 
So here we go. Um, so here's the Milim. We have, I'm just gonna talk this out to you. Basically, God commands Moshe to so take Aaron and his sons, that's a big and all of their vestments, which uh, you know we spent a lot of time describing. Um, that Shaman Hamishcha and and the anointing oil, which is the the putting on of the anointing oil, is what's gonna like turn them into Kohanim. And that Parachatat Mechneilim veEksal Hamatzot. So you're gonna take a ball, two rams, and a basket of matzah, and then you're gonna gather the whole eda. That Kol Eda Hakel Al Patach Olamay. So everyone's then gonna come together, and this all happens. Okay, good. Um. And Moshe says, you know, this is, this is what God has commanded us to do. And he brings forward Aaron and his sons. He washes them. Um, and then he dresses them. Right, so this, this very like intensive, I, I also love this because it's a little bit reminiscent of the Bedeckin at, at a wedding, like, Everyone goes to a mikvah and advances their wedding. You come to your wedding, wash, and then um, and then you get dressed publicly at your wedding, right? So that's the, that's the bedeket, maybe. Um, so so it, it, with with the holy da around. Um, so anyways, that's something just I always think about when when I read this this part of this ceremony. Um, but anyway, so uh, so Aaron and Nicole and his sons, the Kohanim, are getting kind of the priestly vestments are being put on them in public and, and a description of, you know, a who, article by article, the Hoosh and the Uribetuim, the Mitznefet, um, the Tzitz, um, all of that, you know, the, those are the headpieces. Um, and then they get anointed, and, and he puts it, he takes that the anointing oil, Moshe takes the anointing oil, he puts it on the Mishkan, and then, um, and then he puts it on the Mizbayah, um, and then he puts it on Aaron. So again, you know, sometimes we think about um, the, the priests as um, like vessels of the temple, which helps you kind of understand also why. Uh, and, and this is how actually like, that's how like when, when Maimonides records like some of the rules about how priests have to look and things like that, it's literally like codified into vessels of the temple. Um, and, and, and here it's like such a great example of where that comes from. Oh, we're anointing the Mishkan and we're anointing the altar and we're anointing the priests. And they're just, you know, they're like, it's all kind of the same. Um, and that helps with some of that, a little bit of like dehumanization of priests, which happens where we say the priests have to look in a very specific way. And there's all kinds of like disabilities questions that maybe can come up around the priests. And those are like super, super important questions to raise, but one of the ways that some people try and address those is to say, like, yeah, it's dehumanizing. They're not humans. They're here serving as vessels when they're when they're serving in um in 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 the Mishkan here or in the in the temple. Anyways, okay, so so they everything gets sprinkled with oil all the same. Um and they all right, continue getting dressed, and then we bring some sacrifices. God, lots of sacrifices. The sacrifice goes all these different places. Fine, fine, fine. They do smicha on it. Um, they get this is like such a funny part of it. Um, <laughs> highlights um, of Parshat Tav. Okay, um, <laughs> right. So they they slaughter, um, and then 
they take the Moshe takes the blood and puts it on um on the ridges of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, and the big toes of their right feet, which is just like a very intense, there's no uh, comparison of that to weddings, I guess, other than, I guess, the finger thing that squeezes the blood out of it. Um, anyway, so that right, he does that, and it, so it's not just anointing with oil, it's also kind of anointing with, with blood, which is just like this very intense image. Anyways, okay, fine, do stuff with the bread. Um, Okay, so then after all of that stuff happens, um, and all of the sacrifice and the meat and the, the eating it and all of that, cooking it, eating it, great. Um, after all that, they are commanded, <laughs> so not go out the entrance of the town of Venus for seven days. Until the day that your period of ordination is completed. Because your ordination requires seven days. Seven days will your hands be filled. That's kind of the, the more literal uh, interpretation of those words. But but the, the thing takes seven days. It has to, you have to be, your hands will not be full, filled of your, full of your ordination um, until seven days has um, this is a very important pursuit, and much is going to be made of it going forward. But for now, we'll just uh, we'll just hold how weird it is, um, right? So everything done today, the Lord has commanded to be done seven days to make expiation for you. So what that means in context, maybe like all of these sacrifices means all these sacrifices are going to be brought again and all of that. But where the Gemara goes with it is what you've done today will be done in advance of the time in which you get kapara, i.e., in advance of Yom Kippur. Uh, so that's where this verse and it, it is a, it's a rather it's somewhat strange verse. I mean, in context, I think it does make quite a lot of sense. Um, but uh, in context, it means everything we've done today we'll do again seven days, and you'll stay here for all of that time. But, but the Talmud really picked up on it. Anyways, okay. Um, and it's the, the entrance of the Tad of Meeting, you'll sit day and night for seven days. Hashem, and you'll you'll keep keep the Lord's charge, but maybe you're kind of gonna like stay guard, something like that. Um, the Lotamutu, and if you do this, then you won't die. Right, and then Vayas Aaron Vanav at Koizarim Asher Tiva Hashem Biyam, and Aaron and his sons do that just as God commanded by the hand of Moses. Um, so this is our kind of first quarantine potentially that we have. You're gonna come here. You're gonna sit in this spot. It's separate from everyone else. And now, if you're reading this, maybe people can into the chat or feel free to also just unmute yourselves um if you're reading this like what would you say characterizes this this quarantine like what's the what's the point of it how might it have felt while you're doing it um what like yeah how how, how would it have felt and and what what's what's the purpose uh, feel free to just kind of unmute and um, yeah um, um well um, that's, that's, sorry Sorry, was someone else talking? Fine, go ahead. Sorry, um, I was just gonna say that it, it says that it's for the purpose of like cleansing, which is like a little reminiscent to me of like, I don't know, like 
a retreat or something like I don't know if people go on like a silence retreat or something where they want to like get away um from like their normal lives to sort of like come back changed um so some sort of like spiritual detox maybe spiritual detox love that all right did anyone have a different reading from Hayas because you kind of look like you want to say something um just kind of like going through the process. Oh, I have my red speaker here, but going through the process of, of the week, like to get to a higher place because Yom HaChmini is kind of the next octave of, of Avoda. Yeah, well, okay. Um, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Certainly, we're about to see what happens by Yom HaChmini. That's definitely true. But were you also saying something about how there's like, seven days that make up a week so you kind of experience like the whole week within the temple is that also something you were saying yeah it's, it's almost like a a recreation of creation or a creation of the new Mitzis. oh i love that right that there that there's gonna be oh i see i didn't understand you the first time okay let me try this um, right god created the world in seven days and now because on the eighth day, there's now going to be a functioning Mishkan with all the stuff that's going to happen. We're about to, we're about to see what's going to happen. I kind of stopped before we even reached the impacts of it, but Yehudas knows what's going to happen. Um, that, that in order to create this new reality, you have to like go through a, a transitional creation, which is sitting here for seven days in order to get to that eighth next level of existence. That's, that's where you go, right? That's great. That's beautiful. And I think I see it was a good one second. Um, and I, I think it does in a certain sense line up with what Haya was saying, but it but it adds, it takes it really to the next level of what's the purpose of your spiritual detox. It's in order to kind of have this new world created at the end of it, which I love. Um, Elizabeth, please. I was just going to say that I think there's something that's dangerous for them if they do go outside of this area because they're now like in this like liminal like anthropological liminal state or whatever and they can't they're they're not before they're not after and they have to kind of wait and it's, it could be dangerous for them it could be dangerous for other people if they come in contact with them good right okay very important elizabeth is picking up on this that's not like we don't normally say like go to the grocery store and buy apples and then you will not die. Like that is not a normal, a normal way to give people instructions. Um, there's a threat involved in that, that this liminal space isn't just, oh, transition to the next level of creation. It's also a dangerous time, um, which we obviously know what happens next also. Um, and we know how dangerous this time truly is, uh, it is for, for Aaron's son, definitely. Um, but right, this this like staying in this spot, and if you leave the spot, you could die. Um, I think so. On the one hand, we want to say, oh, it's this whole spiritual thing, but it's a spiritual thing that carries with it a lot of danger, a good amount of rightfully placed fear, and we'll see it. Like meaning, oh, I don't even think I brought you the whole whatever. I couldn't bring you like all of Parshat Zav and all of Parshat Shmini, but um, but but right. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's not a it, they didn't even potentially didn't even take it seriously enough the danger of of that of that transitional moment yeah i love that um did i was anyone else i can only kind of see a few of you but people should just hop, hop in if you 
if more of you have them. Great. I'm going to keep going, but really like hop in if you have what to say. So just what happens after, I think this is like just an important piece, which is like, what, what's the goal of the museum? We've said it, but the, the Pusik says it really well, right? So on the eighth day, this is our part of the Moshe calls Aaron his sons, the elders, um, and they do more sacrificing. Um, but what's the purpose of all of it? Ki hayom Hashem right? God is going to be apparent to you after this. Um, so if you do everything the way I tell you, then God will appear. Um, but then what happens is that's not, well, I, there's a lot of reads about what happened to Nadav and Avihu and why exactly they died. But the Pasuk says they brought Eshazara, um, right? They brought a foreign fire. They didn't follow the instructions carefully enough. And exactly this is what Elizabeth was bringing out before, right? The, the whole point is follow the instructions, which means don't follow the instructions. And they, they've been warned really explicitly here. Don't follow the instructions. Tamuzu, and that's what happened. So um, very sad, obviously, devastatingly sad for Aaron and for us as readers who love the family of Aaron. Um, and um, yeah, but so, okay, good. So that's kind of our, our core, maybe like one of our core models of quarantine. Um, and I think what the things that we brought out in our discussion just now were the things that, that I was hoping would get brought out. So it's definitely about preparation, it's about transition, it's about maybe like a new world order appearing afterwards, um, and there's a real threat of danger. Um, so, it, but the danger is almost like on the outside, like if you stay in, then the danger is out there. That's one, one form of quarantine. Okay, so the next one I want to look at is the model of Tzara'a. So this is just, there, it, within Tzara'a, Sarat is, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, like we have these like different, these like more intense quarantines and then they'll like stay at home in general. So Sarat really, really carries a parallel to that. Because um, with Sarat, what we're going to see is that there's like, okay, you'll be in, in Seger. That's what in Israel what they've been calling quarantine. You'll be in Seger for seven days, but then that's as part of like, the, oh, do you have Sarat or not? But then if you do have Sarat, there's an even longer um period beyond that. So that I just wanted to kind of like tee that up and now we'll now we'll see it inside. So oh tarat is I guess we often translate it as leprosy. It's like some kind of like skin discoloration. And um and me and we'll see we'll 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 see the story of Miriam who gets Tarat because of speaking poorly about her brother Moses and that is why um, in the rabbinic tradition, but really it seems like internally to the Torah as well, um, we see tzara'at as a um, as a punishment for lashon hara for speaking ill about um, other people. Uh, but also, yeah, okay, never mind. Let's keep going. Um, so, so Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, right, and, and here's the instruction. And, and notice that God speaks to Moses and Aaron because the priests play actually quite a big role in um in they're they're like the tara'a doctors or something like that so a person who has a donkey the person he has on his body a swelling a rash a discoloration and it develops into a scaly affection whatever that means but it develops into tara'a so then you bring your 
skin issue to the priest, and the priest examines the, the affliction on the skin. And here's all these things they're looking for. They're looking for what the hair looks like and whether the, the affection appears to be darker than the rest of the body. Um, so then, if it looks a certain way, then then it's for sure leprosy. The priest sees it, he pronounces him unclean. But if it doesn't look exactly like that and it looks a little bit different, so if it, it's the Beharad is if it's a white discoloration, but it's not quite deeper than the skin and the hair hasn't quite turned white, then what happens? The priest isolates. It's, it's a, a really an amazing moment in Tanakh because the, um, the person is described as a nega. So it's not Haminuga, the person who has the affection. It's actually the, the like skin problem gets closed up for seven days, but obviously like you don't like leave a hunk of your arm behind. Like it's the whole person who is described by their, um, their like skin problem. Um, which is, there's just a lot to say about that as maybe like in some ways problematic. Um, maybe like the priest isn't like necessarily like seeing the whole person and, and only seeing that, but, but it's also in some ways like a critique of, of medicine in general, which, which now we talk about a lot that um, as like a critique of kind of like the way hospitals work and whatever, but we're really seeing that really playing out in the text here um, that you kind of lose the, lose the person to the, Questionable Tarat. Uh, okay, so right. So then, if if it still has not clarified itself after that seven day sagar, right? The Then there's another sagar. If it hasn't become clear at that point, um, and then if after that it it looks better or it hasn't gotten worse, then he, then he's okay. He just has to, he can come out of his quarantine. He launders his clothes and he becomes pure. But if it gets worse, then, then the Kohen decides, um, this person is impure and this, this spot is Tzara'ah. Um, so what happens to someone who, okay, so we saw, right, there's now three things that can happen if you have a spot. One is, you're fine, go home, wash your clothes on the way. Two is you, um, uh, we don't know, we're gonna do quarantine until we can figure it out. That's by the way familiar, right? Like I was exposed to someone with COVID and I don't, and it's gonna take me a while to develop symptoms or to even like test positive. So now I have to quarantine until I test positive. That, right, that's like, that's really what this is. Like that, that feels like very, um, connected here so then you go back for your like COVID test and if it's like oh I, I don't know like the test was was what came back undecided then you do another seven days and another test and if you um but if it came back but then what can happen is it comes back positive and then you have leprosy so then the question is okay so what happens after now we're, we're jumping, I forget where we just were. We're jumping, that was like one through nine and we have to jump all the way to Pasuk Menhe. So we, we just skipped like 30 seconds, right? Um, 
But here's what happens to someone who's declared Tamei. Hatsarua asher arbo hanega, the person with leprosy, his clothes should be rent, his head left bare, he covers over his upper lip. And he has to call out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has this disease, he is impure. Tamehu. He has to sit apart and his dwelling is outside of the camp. So in the Torah, this is like two psukim long. This whole description of like what happens to the person who gets sarat, but it's terrible. Um, in, in the Navi, we see much longer, kind of more humanized descriptions of what this is. We see people outside of the camp who have sarat, who then go and discuss whatever various armies have fled and and all of a sudden there's a lot of grain because you can tell you can't anyways right you have so all, already in the Navi you have like some oh like you know maybe miracles could be brought about by the people who have Sarat who are sitting outside the camp and already in the Navi this is getting complicated and then in the in the Talmud we have this Midrash that the, like the, the Messiah is sitting outside of the town with the people who have Sarat and he's you know wrapping and unwrapping his um, his bandages and um so so this meaning like but what we see from those critiques of Sarai starting in the Navi and then continuing on through rabbinic literature um is how harsh this is. <laughs> um and, and and that's what really brings out this so right you have your like seven day media have Sarai quarantine but then you have your like get out of the public much more extended tarai, you have tarai and you are not welcome here until you are healed, um, which it kind of seems like at least could be a, a long time, um, could potentially be quite a long time. And the other place that comes up for people who are like familiar with this is that in the book of Matthew, um, we see Jesus healing the lepers. And so that's another place where we see a kind of a critique of, of this. And what, what Jesus does there is um, he just, he heals them and then they, they do go through like the whole purification process, but he speed like part of what it is, is that he, this part, this like tame, tame, he call out, I'm impure, I'm impure, that embarrassing, you have to sit as if you're embarrassed, you give off impurity by, um, and you have to, that's why you have to call out so people will know that you're impure. Um, that's what, that's what the critique of that is. So on the, in the Milu'im, what we saw is that the danger is kind of outside. And if you stay here and you follow the rules, you'll be safe. And that's that's maybe like a characteristic of that quarantine that is the opposite here. Here it is, you're in quarantine because you pose a danger to everyone else. Um, in our times, we're seeing both of those, right? We're seeing, I don't know whether I'm sick. If I go out, I could pose a danger to someone else. Also, um, maybe going out, I, I'm healthy, actually, possibly I'm healthy, but by going out, I'll bring home disease and I'll bring home danger. So both of those is the danger inside. And that's why the, and we're quarantining the danger or is danger outside and I'm staying in to quarantine and protect myself against that danger. We're seeing both of those models in, Tana, in, in I mean, within like Save Our Viagra, we're seeing both of those models. Um, and I think 
you really kind of experience both of them and possibly both at the same time, which I think is something that's so um, challenging about our, like, unless you know you have COVID, this like asymptomatic disease thing has meant that many of us are experiencing, I could pose a danger to others and others could pose a danger to me all at the same time, um, which is, I think, I think that the Hamish like can't really imagine that in a certain sense. Um, and, um, and to me, that's like another really interesting thing that's going on here. Yeah, Chaya, please. Sorry, I just didn't catch, do you mind explaining again the two paradigms of quarantine? Is it protecting yourself and protecting others? Was that what you were saying? I wasn't sure if I caught it. Yeah, so is, like if you imagine quarantine as like two concentric circles, so is the inside the safe place or is the inside the danger? Like, am I staying alone because I'm a danger to others? Or am I staying alone because others, the outside is a danger to me? But was that clear this time? Like those things are, so the I'm a danger to others is the Sarah quarantine, whereas others are a danger to me or like the outside, or if I leave my quarantine, it's a danger to me. That's the Milu'im model. Thank you. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, sorry, I don't know how to lower my, my hands. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I I understand the distinction you're making because one, like it's obviously cooler to be like a priest who's becoming a priest, you know, to serve. And it's less cool to be put outside of the camp and having to yell Tame, Tame every time someone comes close. However, I, I'm not sure, I don't see as much of like a distinction between those two. I mean, they're both, like when you start describing the concentric circles, they're, they're both points of danger, you know, and they and the danger goes both ways. I mean, we we call the kedusha. We don't call the kedusha dangerous, but but it, if you have holy oil on you, you you are. I mean, like you're exposed if you go. At, so they're both potentially exposed to the whatever that tuma is that we don't totally understand, but. But it, it is kind of going both ways in both cases, which maybe that's what you're saying. But anyway, okay. <laughs> I guess just one's one seems less good, you know, than the other. But but I think they're both kind of this like fragile, protected status that I, I think is in both cases. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, good. I think in both cases we're trying to maintain a separation. But the question is like, who's the one who is quarantined? So let's say like Leia, let's say Leia is quarantined. If Leia is a priest, then the reason why I'm quarantined is not because I pose a danger to everyone else, but because they pose a danger to me. If Leia has Sarat, then the reason I'm quarantined is because I pose a danger to everyone else. So it, I mean, you, you, I, I hear you pushing back on the like values piece of that, totally legit, but I do just wanna like, I, I think the directionality of it, I just wanna get clear on. You heard it, did you have something to say? Yeah, yeah it seems like you know me. Um, yeah, I was just thinking to your question in the beginning of the Sagaras Tanega rather than the person, just kind of a, a, diagno a diagnostic evaluation of what exactly is going on, and then you can decide what what the person should do, how how you should treat the person. But the sargar sanag is, is really identifying what the problem is first. Yeah, totally. No, and I think that's a very nice read, right? We might want to say, oh, 
you actually have to suggar the whole person and it's like dehumanizing and you're like no like actually the person is not that's a beautiful read actually um like the the, the person isn't doesn't need to be suggar the person just happens to be dragged along by it but but that person's really like a free person but i need to keep their arm here for examination so like de facto the person has to come along but then what happens is once it's impure the whole person is but actually during that first, oh, that's great. That's a really, I wish I had come in with that read. That's very good, um, right? So during that like intermediate quarantine period, the person is actually not like inside, really just like their arm is inside and like the person's good to go. Um, but then once, once it's determined, yes, this is actually leprosy, then the whole person is inside. Oh, Shkaya, that's very good. Um, okay, we have to get to Miriam before we close the book on Sarat. Uh, okay, so here's, um, oh, so, okay, so when you want to get out, so sorry, that before we get to Miriam, even, this is, this is the Torah, so this is when you want to, when your leprosy goes away, there's like this whole very fascinating temple ritual, pay attention when we read Parshat Mitzvah, it's amazing, um, um, but anyways, right, so then, you, then, right, but the point is, you have to go back to the Kohen, oh, the Kohen, sorry, the Kohen comes to you, that's very important, it says but how does the right so that it says he brings it to the priest but it's not the priest comes out to him the priest has to go out to look to come to visit do vicar colon and visit the person who is sick um and then he'll see and he'll see yes you're healed and then he'll um and then they'll organize this whole fascinating um, ritual with live birds and we let someone go free at the end. It's amazing. Anyways, all right, for when you read Parshan. Fine. So here's, I have like model two and a half, Miriam Sarat. So this, because um, right, when you see it just in the like Sarat model, you have Tuma. But one thing that's important to remember is that like Tuma is not always value-laden. Like Tuma is just a thing that happens. Um, you know, people have sex and at the end of that, like the man is Tome. Um, and um, that, or she, I guess she is also because of his mission, right? So um, that's just like, nor, like life could not continue without Tuma. Um, so, so Tuma is not, and, and in the world of Tarat, so yes, you have this person calling out Tame, Tame, Kra, but that's in some ways better than him having to wear a sign around his neck that says, this guy is told me to stay away or like a sandwich board or something, you know, but that, but the value piece of Sarat really comes to a head with Miriam. So Miriam, I'm not going to get into what, who is the Ishak, who is the Kushite woman, what were they talking about, what exactly did Miriam do wrong, all amazing questions for another time, but they, they speak about the Kushite woman that Moshe had taken, um, and, but Whatever, okay, Moshe is a really good person, Hashem loves Moshe. Um, and then Hashem says to Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, and then they, they right to so go out, the three of you, to the tent of meeting, they all go. God comes down to talk to them. Um, and, um, okay, and right, remember, I like Moshe better than you, more or less. I speak to him in a way that I don't speak to you. Um, and then God's presence leaves 
Miriam Miriam is covered in scales. Um, uh, the snow white scales. Um, and, and this is right, Aaron's the priest. Remember, and the priest is the one who looks at the leprosy. But even our own El Miriam, Aaron turns to Miriam and he's the leprosy expert. And she has leprosy. Um, and then this, this is amazing. The way that this line gets used in, um, in High Holidays liturgy is like so, um, if, if you're a person who like goes to sleep, this line is like in your kishkas. Um, and then, right, and that always followed in the liturgy by right? That's like, if, if you're like a liturgy person, that's like what comes next after this line, um, but not in the Torah. Um, that's what's brilliant about about liturgy, but uh, the, the like pastiching of different lines of Torah together, such that they just like, feel like they go together. Anyways, okay. So be my Lord, um, count not to us the sin which we have committed in our folly, and al This is a very intense description of what Sarai can be. Let her not be as one dead who emerges from his mother's womb with half his flesh eaten away. That's a very intense thing to imagine. Um, but that's really, that's how Aaron perceives her Sarai. And then he prays on her behalf, let her not die in this like horrible, emaciated kind of abortive, vision that that he has of it um and moshe also also prays he says El Allah. a lot of beautiful uh, jewish music for that line um and and hashem says to moshe like what do you mean right she um oh hashem, sorry hashem this is there's so much amazing stuff going on here we could spend hours just talking about these lines um this is the 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 first call the homer this is the call the homer in the torah God says to Moshe, if her um, father had spat in her face, would she not be ashamed for seven days? Call the Homer, Miriam in this situation. Um, so that's the, the, the call is her father spat in her face. So the Homer is Miriam in this horrible situation. Therefore, um, Therefore, she has to sit for seven days outside of the camp, and then she can come back in. So clearly, right, it's, it's wouldn't she be embarrassed for seven days? Okay, she's going to call the homer, she's going to go sit outside of the camp for seven days. So this is, I think, could it be more obvious? It's meant to be, it's punitive. It's meant to be embarrassing. She should be ashamed. The same way as someone who spat in her father's face. Oh, sorry, same way as someone whose father spat on her face. Sorry, I don't know why I said that wrong. Um, so that it's right, it's very clear kind of what this quarantine is about. Um, so Miriam then does that, right? But it's again, but like the people don't really like give in to her shame or they like recognize her shame and they we sit with her in Miriam. The people didn't leave until Miriam was readmitted. And then once she is brought back in, 
they go from Khatiru and they camp in Midbar Parat. So this is the first time, meaning when we just see the, 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 the person with Sarad, the Matura, you could really argue and the way Elizabeth kind of was that like, yeah, no one wants to be the Matura. Like that's very sad to be the Matura, but like, all right, you know, things happen. Like let's take the values out of it at least in the case of Miriam, and, and obviously like the rabbinic tradition wants to read this onto all Tarat, but at the very least in the case of Miriam, it's kind of explicitly punitive and, um, and, and meant to be shameful. So then, and, and that's like, you know, like we do this, like it's considered like, um, like um, I don't know actually, whatever, but like, right, like it's, it's a timeout. You know, like that, like we, we also punish by making people kind of leave the camp. Um, like she's, she's expelled temporarily. Um, she's, right, so there's like a harem version of quarantine, which is, which is this also, which and, and very kind of explicitly meant to shame. Um, and that's, that's kind of interesting um, just when reflecting on our own experiences. Um, because shame has played this like very interesting role um, in COVID times, um, and I think something that that you know I, I, people have written. There's been a lot written about it, but I think there could be a lot more written about it in terms of like public health shaming in a way that um, Americans I think haven't. So you know, there's a lot of like, oh, it's rude to not to like on the street or whatever but it hasn't it, or like it's considered maybe like disgusting but this real like you are endangering me and I'm gonna shame you for endangering me thing like that to me has felt very new about COVID um and and this idea that like I don't know that anyone's experienced their like quarantine necessarily as shameful but I know at the beginning when people were getting sick they were experiencing like had, being ill with COVID a year ago, people were experiencing being ill with COVID as shameful, certainly, um, and as embarrassing. Um, and I think that that shame has played this kind of very, um, very complicated role in in our, all of our experiences of this past year. And that that even in our kind of I see you one second. Oh, just one more sentence. That even in in our kind of core text, we see shame ruled into it. Um, I think to me is is like is quite instructive. So yeah, you had it. Yeah, just that recent thing about. <laughs> the family on the plane that, you know, they were embarrassed for, for not having their two-year-old wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's, whatever, there's a lot going on in that story, but, and like, anti-Semitism, ah, like, you know, but, but yeah, like, the, the shaming of, of people, even, you know, anti-Semitism, you know, even in more straightforward cases than, than that one, uh, or, or just like less, um, I don't know, whatever, with fewer things going on than that, than that case. Um, certainly, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely been like a, and like, like this, you know, people who even, even kind of people who have a different read of public health, um, like at the, like even at the, at the beginning when, the, like think back to when the CDC was telling people like, don't wear masks, like send all your masks to the hospital. And when you would see someone walking around with a mask, you'd be like, that person is so anti-science, the masks are not necessary. And people would kind of like, like scorn people who were wearing masks, not because they were endangering you or anything like that, but it's just sort of like, oh, you're anti-science, you're not doing like what's, what the, the CDC tells us is like the best for a lot of kind of shaming, even as people were trying to figure out the science, 
Um, that was part of it um, from, that I kind of remember from the beginning of this. I'm trying to think whether, you know what, let's do just these Mishnayot and then next week we'll tie, maybe I'll think about it. I'll think about whether we want to get into the Gemara, but I want to do these two Mishnayot that bring up quarantine cases that are not explicit in the Torah. So um, here is, we'll do the Mishnah in Yoma and then we'll do the Mishnah in Para for people who are following along in the next six minutes. So here's the Mishnah in Yoma. Shiva Yamim Kodan Yoma Kippurim Mafrishim Kohen Gadol Mi Beito Lulichat Arhedurim Lumakinim Lo Kohen Acher Tachtav Shamayir Avopsul. So seven days prior to Yom Kippur, the sages remove the high priest from his house to the chamber of Parhedrim, which is a room in the temple. And they would also, there's also his second, there would be like a scan and he would also um, go out. So this is just for, for people who are, this is the very opening of Masaha Yoma. So for people who are going to be starting Yoma uh, next week with the Zafiwi cycle, uh, you, you know, you got a head start with us today. Um, but the Gemara is going to be very interested. Where do we get this from? It's not in the Psukkin, right? Um, when we get to Parsha Achrimo, you'll realize it's not in the Psukkin. So, What's interesting about Parshat Aharimot is obviously it starts Aharimot Shnei Bnei Aaron Mekarav Bnei Hashem Ayamuzu. Clearly, the story of Miluim Shmini is meant to lead to Aharimot, um, which is where we learn about the Yom Kippur service. So, like the, the connection there feels like quite kind of clear how we got from that quarantine of Miluim to Yom Kippur. Um, but the Torah doesn't really make it explicit. Like it really could be that just like Milim is a thing that happened one time. They had an Aaron and his sons had to quarantine and never again did something like that have to happen. And here the Mishnah and the rabbinic tradition um, and presumably what they did in Temple Times it is that actually they kind of reenacted those Milim um, seven days before Yom Kippur um, every year. Okay, so that's Yom Kippur. Now we'll just go to Para. Um, and here we have, you'll notice some similarities. Shiva Yamim Kodan Lusrefat Hapara. So seven days before the burning of the red heifer. The red heifer is, um, you learn about it in Parsha Chukat. And the red heifer is a red cow that you um, burn in order to make um, like ashes and then ultimately a liquid out of that gets sprinkled on people who have come into contact with death. Um, and that is part of the purification process for those people. So seven days before the red cow is burned, mafrishin kovin hasorif et hapara mi beito lilishkasha al pnei habira. So they would take the, they would separate the priest from his house to the chamber that faces the northeastern corner of the bira. Um, the right tafona mizracha obeyed evan haitani krit. So if there's not, even within the temple, there's actually these two different chambers for quarantines. The Kohen Gadol gets his own, and then this guy, the Kohen Asorif Etapara, gets his, uh, the, the priest who's going to burn the cow, the red heifer, gets, gets his own chamber for this. Um, and they would sprinkle him every day with a mix of all of the red heifers that had been burned in the past. So he gets sprinkled. So just as Aaron and his sons get sprinkled every day, and the Gemara is going to go on to say that the, the priest before Yom Kippur gets sprinkled, um, not every day, uh, but this guy gets sprinkled not with like blood or or, or shavuot mishcha, but he gets sprinkled with 
all of the all the red heifer um, ashes that had been collected like ever in the past, like a combination of them. Very cool and very interesting. Um, Wait, Rabbi Yehuda says, oh, it wasn't every day, it was just the third day of the seventh day. Um, but Rabbi Yehudim Askana Kohanim says, I'll have to to read the Torah, and then he ties it in directly. So Rabbi Yehudim Askana Kohanim says, um, the Kohen who brings the cow, he gets for seven days, but the one who is in a different chamber preparing on his own quarantine for Yom Kippur, he is only on the third day of the seventh day. So it's already drawing these, like the Mishnah itself is drawing these really direct comparisons. Um, the Gemara is going to say, where do we learn any of this from? We learn it from the Milim. And then the Gemara is going to say, well, why don't we do it here? Why don't we do it? Why doesn't the Kohen do it before any sacrifice is brought? Why don't we do it before other holidays? Welcome to the beginning of Yoma. It's very fun and interesting. And it's really all about when do we quarantine? When do we, um, when do we not quarantine? Why don't we quarantine more often? Um, so already what we're seeing is a rabbinic expansion of quarantine from just the Mu'in to Yom Kippur to the Mu'im and Sarat to Yom Kippur. The Gemara here also, it doesn't explicitly mention Sarat, but it um, it uses proof text from Sarat. So Sarat is like on the mind in the Gemara's discussion here about why don't we quarantine here? Why don't we quarantine there? Why don't we quarantine the other? So um, I'm gonna have to think about whether we're gonna together start, just go through some of the examples that I wanted to bring to you of, of the like, I was very interested in the Havaminas of the Gemara and the Gemara's question, like, why don't we quarantine here? Why don't we quarantine there? Like, why would we quarantine there? What's quarantine doing? So I have to think, like, what I'm going to sacrifice in order for us to maybe look at that and whether I feel like that's worth it. Um, but um, definitely feel free to obviously, like, start Yoma with the daf and you'll, you'll, you'll learn the whole thing by, by next Thursday. Um, and um, yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for participating. Uh, please come back next week. There's way more to talk about, obviously. Um, and thank you for, for learning with Pooja. Are you going to talk at all about Eliyahu and Yonah's kind of bidud isolation at some point? Ooh, that's interesting. I hadn't planned on it, but you're right that those are some, Yonah is a very important one also. And Eliyahu, Eliyahu, I kind of, Eliyahu opens up another can of worms, which is, is Moshe when he like possibly Moshe quarantines for six days before Mamad Harsinai? So I, I think Eliyahu is a recreation of that more so than than these other models. Um, the Gemara, the Gemara in the beginning of Yoma actually discusses is is the Kohen before Yom Kippur is he recreating the Milim or is he cre recreating Moshe at Harsinai, which is like an amazing question. Um, and that in and of itself is like, what, what is Yom Kippur the, 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 like, um, the inauguration of the Mishkan or is Yom Kippur Harsinai? Like what a, what an amazing, like what an amazing question. Anyways. Okay, fine. So yeah. So, so I'll also say, I think Eliyahu Bar Karmel and Eliyahu Pahorib is much more Moshe at Harsinai model and Yona. Yona is fascinating because Yona might, I don't know. I kind of think Yona is maybe more the Tzarat model. Yona, there's like a punishment for Yona, I think. Okay. Hi, you look like you have thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay.
No, I was just thinking what you were saying. But thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. Thanks for coming. It was great to great to learn from you, both of you. Thank you for being today. Thank, thank you. you. All right. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And uh, I said this in the chat as well, but we have four additional classes starting up next week. Um, and also, if you go to our classes page, there's information on the session that Revenue Sarn is teaching for International Women's Talmud Day on April 25th. So, Morioma. <laughs> Morioma. All right. Uh, very seasonal. Um, so, yeah, please, please go ahead, take a look at the website, and we hope to see you at some of those other opportunities, and uh, we hope to see you back here next week for the second session.